This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and Ortho Evidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king, and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bhandari from OrthoEvidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. So welcome to another uh, Ortho Joe session. Uh, my name is Mo Bhandari, uh, and as you all know, uh, Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery joins me. With uh, my cup of Joe. You've got yours, I've got mine as well. So uh, good morning, and uh, Let's talk robots, shall we, Mark? Robots. So let me just start off with um, something, some interesting facts that I think make it really important for us to be considering this in a different way than we may have in the last decade. Stryker Corporation just spent one point, just not just, but had spent 1.7 billion on the Mako surgical robot. Medtronic has spent an equal amount, 1.7 million on a robot. Depuy Synthes has just spent lots of money and in fact have just launched their version. Uh, they're calling it the Velus Robotic Assisted Solution. Zimmer Biomet has invested in a robot. Smith, Invest, uh, Smith and Nephew invested 275 million some years ago and looking to, to, to build their robot. We're seeing uh, companies in, uh, across Europe doing the same and we're seeing lots and lots of startups investing in robots for surgical care Orthopedics is a pretty big target. Now, let me ask you this, why? Like, why has this become the thing? Well, uh, in addition to companies investing uh, large amounts of resources, our research community is investing large amounts of resources. I, I just did a quick scan of what we've published in the journal and you know, in the last uh, nine years, we have uh, seven high quality uh, RCTs or large database studies in knee, uh, and a, and six of very high quality studies in hip. So our community is very interested in it as well. And I suppose that the goal of this is to decrease the variation in the technical technical aspects of placing prostheses in the knee and the hip. Um, as we all know, there's a learning curve in everything in orthopedic surgery. And it seems as if uh, the goal here is to uh, flatten that learning curve substantially in the area of placement of components, particularly with the cup and the acetabulum in the hip uh, and the uh, cuts uh, in, the, in the knee. See, the challenge I have with the following is, you know, you know, and you don't know which way it comes, but usually, usually with innovation, it, you know, there, there is an innovation idea and it's usually industry that says, you know, we're going to move in this direction. They're going to find early adopters pretty quickly. And then we're going to start seeing research that, you know, comes out. So the research shouldn't absolutely be, um, you know, coming out in correspondence to the absolute enthusiasm for the future in robots. 
But here's the point that I have challenge with. So same thing, right? So, you know, when I look at what uh, ortho evidence has done, a couple of original uh, documents, they've looked at, you know, trials and comparative studies looking at robotic assisted hip surgery and robotic assisted total knee arthroplasty. And can you guess what they found? Can you just take a guess what they found? No, no difference. Right. So that's the problem, right? And now you can always argue small studies, it's going to be early. Um, and, you know, we just haven't figured out, you know, the right outcomes and the right procedures. And quite frankly, there's a learning curve. So there's a lot of reasons why you wouldn't necessarily have this outstanding, you know, first pass with the first round of evidence. But the enthusiasm is through the roof. Like, I don't think of most hospitals or most universities not being extremely proud to say that they are, you know, moving towards robotic surgery. So there is this allure to saying we can fix this problem. And I guess I'm trying to understand by getting components in better position, are we fixing the problem? Well, you know, the, the RCTs and, and your meta-analyses of these studies basically show that two to three degrees better alignment of the knee of the tibial component doesn't equal better functional outcomes. And that that's understandable because that's a really, really small difference. It's, it's something you can measure carefully enough to have statistical significance, but not enough to impact uh, the patient functional outcomes. I, I so, must say in my, in my careful review of what we have published, um, there is one study that we published two years ago uh, by Pedersen et al. that um, had two-year better outcomes in the patients fixed with uh, robotic uh, uh, in influence. Um, now, having said that, you, you mentioned already expertise bias. And in this study, the people using the robots were, were experts using the robots. For sure. Uh, and and the, the corresponding non-robotic surgeons were not necessarily experts. But you see, this gets back to the whole purpose. So if you look at, let's say, hospital CEOs that are uh, in administrative groups that are saying, okay, we have to figure out, you know, whether the initial cost of this, you know, uh, uh, this particular device, you know, and, and the technology we're using is going to be outweighed quickly. For a ho hospital system, you'd imagine that while two-year outcomes are really important for society, they're not necessarily that beneficial to the hospital's bottom line, right? I would imagine the hospital's bottom line would be, you can do something less invasively, so there's less risk of complications, and probably more importantly, the bigger driver of cost, I would imagine, would be yeah. hospital stay. So if you can make procedures quicker and more efficient, and uh, patients are at a hospital quicker uh, and back to function, that's great. I would imagine those would be it. So a two-year outcome study, let's say, that says you know, maybe somewhere down the line, people do better is wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful for society, but I wonder why the push so much right now is hospitals. I believe hospitals are, are betting on quicker, less invasive surgery, um, and also more importantly, um, you know, shorter hospital stays. There's gotta be some other uh, driver that would be the cost, uh, you know, sort of return on the early investments. Well, I, I hope you're right, but my suspicion is having been around hospital administrators for the majority of the last 20, 25 years, is it's all about marketing. Uh, and to get a leg up on the competition locally. And it seems to me that uh, this type of uh, robotic influence is, is being maximized in communities that have the, the biggest competition in terms of health systems. I, th I think it follows a pattern that was done with uh, robots in general surgery as well. 
Do you agree with that? Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm not saying that uh, marketing, uh, just as we've seen in many procedures, right? There are some things that uh, almost patients drive drive the idea. Um, in fact, I want, you know, I want the latest technology applications. And if you can use and say that, that's wonderful and it's important. I think we're seeing lots happening also around the world where a center that gets quote the first robot, it's a big, you know, it's a fairly big uh, marketing push around that. But after you've had the first robot, you've got to demonstrate the robot is actually leading to better outcomes or better, you know, a better system. Otherwise you won't be getting a second robot, you know? So the, the, the issue I think is they've got to be able to determine beyond the initial market what the value is. Yeah, I'm afraid that the metric that is being used all too often is the number of arthroplasties being done in the system. If it goes up after purchasing a robot, yeah, I think efficiency. that's all it takes. Yeah. So, so I want to like, so I asked one of our, uh, the chief of surgery at our institution, uh, a Dr. Anthony Adillian, and he said something I thought um, I'll, 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 I'll share his I'll share his statement to me, and I, I wouldn't mind your your feedback on this statement. He writes, "We ascribe too much technology to robotics. In fact, robotics is best viewed as an enabler technology that allows us to rethink the how and why of knee arthroplasty. Robotic assisted surgery already demonstrates that component alignment is more accurate when compared to manual techniques." But then he goes and says, "But really." We can get something more accurate, but it's the target I think that we've got to get better. So in other words, it can, it can take us to where we want to go very, very reliably. But he's saying the big problem we have with knee arthroplasty and why we continue to have knee problems and 20% of patients are unhappy is because we are choosing the wrong target. So we're telling it to go in the wrong place. And the argument, he says, is the two-dimensional mechanical uh, axis you know, alignment guides that we've been using are probably quite crude. Um, and in fact, targeting something to go with, you know, an x-ray is much worse than saying, let's do a three-dimensional analysis. And maybe the argument I think he's saying is we need way more data and maybe we should be getting three-dimensional real functional data being put in. And that allows the computer to really target all the micro cuts that have to be made and all the absolute precision to get patients back to better outcomes. I don't know, but it definitely makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I, I understand that perspective of wanting more comprehensive data to perform complex analyses. I, I get that. But I, I think that the fact that we have 15 to 20% poor outcomes is more to do with patient selection as much as anything else. And understanding the psychosocial factors that influence the interpretation of pain, uh, the willingness to do rehabilitation as it's prescribed, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, one, one of the things we, we know is that many patients who struggle with weight uh, say that they can't exercise because their knee is too painful. And then you give them a, a relatively less painful knee and the, the weight doesn't change. So uh, there, there are, and I'm not saying that obesity should be an exclusion for knee replacement at all. I'm just saying that what we really need to understand uh, perhaps more than the uh, three-dimensional other physiologic component data is exactly which patients are going to benefit more from this intervention. Well, I've, got, I've got a question for you. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. It be a little bit difficult, but um, okay. if you needed a knee replacement, would you select a early mid-career person who was facile with robots or somebody who you knew in your community that was highly experienced with knee replacement? I want an honest answer, Mo. Honest answer would be the latter. Yeah, me too. Yeah, the latter. Uh, now, the next question I have for you is, do you think that'll change 
in five to ten years? Well, if you if you look at uh, if you look at robotic surgery as a truly enabling technology, then one thing is, as I always believe, is it uh, should help you know um, level the playing field, so to speak, and more importantly, uh, hopefully, uh, allow people generally to be more uh, standardized in the decisions they make, so the outcomes are much more could argue and say reliable and not as varied. Now, hip replacement's an amazing procedure and quite frankly, I suspect, uh, has a great degree of tolerance to variability and technique to some degree. Knee replacement, less so, but that being, I think you could get to that level. I think the future truly, though Mark, I believe is going to be how we feed the robots, right? So whatever food you give them is how they're going to be able to be useful. So I'm hoping that we can find really good data as a source of nutrition for these robots, because that's my fear um, in that we aren't developing, uh, we're developing a technologies very rapidly, but the data behind that technology in terms of the ability to allow them to really reach their, their meaningful purpose is lagging a little bit behind. Yeah, and I think what you're talking about is also including psychological profile data uh, and willingness to comply with rehabilitation strategies, et cetera, et cetera. You, you mentioned uh, hip uh, and one, one interesting publication I came across in my very brief review was uh, from the Mayo Clinic where they did a review of the uh, CMS data, our, our Medicare claims data, looking right. at over 800 hip arthroplasty. And they did find that when robotics were used, there was a de decreased rate of dislocation. So that's, you know, improvement in the placement of the cup. But here again, we've got major confounders with socioeconomic status of those having access to the robots. Younger age was also a factor in that study uh, and lower comorbidities. It was a healthier population. So it's, it's not something like uh, we would place as level one evidence. We would really need to have a really, really well done large RCT for both knee and hip uh, to be able to understand its influence as it, as it exists today. I'm sure and, you agree with that. 100%. And, and I think that just as much as you need to have you know, um, sort of studies using the robot. Like, I mean, totally get it. So we need more data that says, you know, show us when and how it works and whom it works, um, who are the factors and the predictors of, you know, and that's going to be taking, you know, existing technology and using it at its best and having lots of research. But I also think we've got to have people working on getting that technology optimized. So, you know, getting information into those robots that is absolutely more accurate because the robot will take you exactly where you're going. But if I don't know where I'm going, the robot's going with me. Right? And, so, and so I have to make sure that in my own mind that whatever inputs that are coming in are going to be sufficiently robust that it gets me to where I'd like to be. I think sometimes we don't even know where we want to be. We don't know as... Dr. Dilly said, we don't know exactly where the target is. So we're shooting and we're getting it where we want to go and we're not getting the outcomes we want, but we may have chosen the wrong target. Right. Well, I think what you're really talking about is machine learning with robotic data coming from the electronic medical record with psychological profiles, uh, medication profiles, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. And I, I, I think what we'll be doing, and I think that, that, that as you're seeing at the Journal of Bone Joint Surgery, we're seeing continued interest in uh, understanding the evidence. So we're gonna continue to put out some uh, work. We, we, you know, we, we're focusing on the hip and knee right now because that's where we seem to see where the randomized trial data is, albeit they're small. But, but I look forward too to a future where we're both gonna be able to come back here and chat 
with a lot more definitive data and quite frankly, a lot more evidence that suggests um, that we're finding, that we're really finding where this technology makes sense. Uh, right now, everyone is using it or trying to use it right. and hoping that it's going to be sort of, the, you know, the next big, um, the next big you know, innovation um, in our field. And certainly people are betting on it. So let's hope that those bets are correct. Yeah, this is probably a topic we ought to come back to in a couple of years at Ortho, Joe, and just see what, what we're thinking in uh, 2023. You, well, listen, until, until we meet again, um, <laughs> I, will raise, I will raise a cup. I'll raise a cup of uh, Ortho, Joe, to you, my friend. And uh, another great, uh, fun discussion today. Cheers. Cheers. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.